0: I'm Autumn Lockett,
1: and this is Mitch Randall,
0: and you're listening to Good Faith Weekly.
1: On this episode of Good Faith Weekly, we're going to be catching up with Autumn, see how Easter weekend went for everyone. Also going to be talking a little bit about the importance of Zoom etiquette because it seems like everybody's just gone crazy talking on the internet these days. And then in our deeper dive, we're going to take a look at an article by Rabbi Jack Moline at ethicsdaily.com talking about how this pandemic has revealed our enslavement to work. And then finally, we're going to be interviewing a comedian by the name of Paul Williams from Dallas, Texas. So you want to stay tuned for that. Autumn, it's good to see you again. How was Easter weekend?
0: It was um, rainy, um, as it usually is in this part of the country. It's either freezing cold or it's raining every Easter. I don't know. If I were Jesus, I maybe would have just held out one more day. (laughs)
1: <laughs> or maybe one more month going into May <laughs>
0: would have been, yes a Cinco de Mayo Easter would have been really lovely I think
1: <laughs> that's exactly right um,
0: yeah it was great the kids um, hunted Easter eggs several times inside they did a couple of practice rounds so they were good and ready when the chocolate was actually inside the eggs we dyed Easter eggs and tried to do as many of those traditional Easter things as we could while we um, were still at home what about you guys oh.
1: Well, you know, we had an interesting, it was was really fascinating uh, Easter morning because we we got up and uh, I was able to participate in our Church of Sunday School class via Zoom. Uh, And then uh, I got to attend a couple of services across the country. Not only our uh, service here in Norman, Oklahoma, but also I got to listen to Uh, Old Cambridge Baptist Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, My good friend Cody Sanders is the pastor there. And then also Calvary Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. Mary Alice Bird is the pastor down there. And then got to teach youth Sunday school uh, to top it all off. So it was was a great Sunday morning and celebrating Resurrection Day. And then just got to spend some really quality time with family. It was nice uh, to just kind of be lazy for the day. So it's a good day.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Our family participated in the Easter service, but um, it was pre-recorded. So it was kind of nice to be able to um, take turns getting dressed up and recording our portions for it. So that when it came time for Sunday morning, um, we didn't really have to do that. I stayed in sweatpants all day yesterday.
1: Oh, well, that's perfect. Now, how did you participate? What'd you do?
0: So our kiddos um, recited the Lord's Prayer and then our daughter sort of edited it and spliced it together. So that was one thing that we did. And then they also participated in a, uh, for Monday, Thursday, did it a foot washing ceremony that was, I'm sure will surprise you, almost a complete calamity um, on our <laughs> porch. <laughs> three kids, yeah. Three kids washing each other's feet in a giant salad fiesta bowl. It was just chaos. Um, and then, yeah and then my husband and I did a like a, a pretty traditional hymn just acoustically with the guitar unplugged, so yeah okay.
1: well good well, it sounds like an unorthodox Easter, but uh you know what Easter itself is unorthodox it 's quite the story so uh, a, a good good weekend all around so so hey, we talked a little bit about uh, services uh, we watched and uh, classes that we participated in. And I know that uh, we've been conducting our business via Zoom, as the rest of the world has uh, during this pandemic. Uh, one of the things I thought we could talk about a little bit is Zoom etiquette, because I've had to learn all of this myself. I mean, I've, uh, over the last couple of years, we work remotely all across the country with our staff, and I've tried to figure out you know, how to conduct meetings over the Internet and in little boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how many times where I've had to turn and and cough or sneeze or yell at somebody uh, uh, in another room and forgot to hit mute. Uh, uh-huh. So, I mean, do you have any, like, uh, you know, your top three pet peeves when it comes to Zoom meetings?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, well, I really, especially during these days of um – you know, us all working remotely. I really hate it when people just leave their black avatar box up and they don't actually allow video. Now listen, if you're not clothed or someone around you is doing something inappropriate. <laughs> there are
1: some people I like I like, am okay
0: with But for the most part, we're all like really seeking that human connection. And so if at all possible, um Allow your video to be on, um, even if you're the only person on there, others will join. I found it sort of contagious, like yawning, um, if you'll mm-hmm. turn on your video. Um, I work a lot um, in like software programs, and so there's a bunch of data kind of people, and um, right. so I think they're just used to like, let's just get on, and this is very um, functional, but let's I think maintaining that human connection is really important.
1: You mentioned that human connection in uh, Sunday school. Uh, my wife and I teach our youth Sunday school class at church uh, on occasion. And uh, yesterday was my turn to teach. And I saw that the youth came on on Zoom. It was a good time. And so at the end, we decided to pray. And uh, one of the students suggested that we form a virtual circle and hold hands It was like, how in the world are we going to do this? And she said, well, just stick out your hand. And so we stuck our hands out in the box. And you're like, (laughs) you're making a circle. It was fantastic. That's so so cool. You get to virtually hold hands. uh,
0: Okay, so another pet peeve I have is when people, um, I think if there's more than maybe seven or eight people on, you should stay muted. Um, Until yeah. it's turn to talk, I think it gets, even if you don't realize or you don't think there's a lot of background noise, by the time you get 10 background noises amplified, it's just mm-hmm. sort of tricky. Um, but then you, of course, always run the risk of starting to talk and not realizing that you're mute. And then you just like, you know, you look like a crazy person. So yeah. that's tricky. And I don't know. I think probably my third pet peeve is that people forget that you can see them. So, you know. Yeah. remember that people can see you we right. we've all heard some horror stories about um unprofessionalism in that element <laughs> sure.
1: yeah you know, i'm surprised how many people feel very comfortable just eating lunch uh or breakfast uh on a on a business call i mean i just right a lot of people are just sitting there slurp up their cereal or slamming down a sandwich and stuff like that it's like all right, you know, and I'm we're trying to concentrate on business here, but I got to sit here and watch you, you know, go after you know this hoagie that you put together right. with salad and mustard, getting all over your face and in your okay. beard. And-
0: the other thing is lighting. Lighting. I have so many people who sit with, you know, they want people to be able to see it out their window maybe, and that's really kind, but they're not seeing out your window. They're just seeing you looking like a Bond villain, and you're completely backlit.
1: Well, in some cases, I mean, you know, there's a halo that develops over their head. Or horns. Or horns, of course, of course. (laughs) Hopefully, as uh, these Zoom meetings continue, uh, many of us can get better at them and uh, try to to, uh, engage in a little bit more etiquette along the way. Welcome back to Good Faith Media, and in this week's Deeper Dive, we're going to take a look at an article written by Rabbi Jack Moline on April the 13th of this week at ethicsdaily.com entitled, Your Work Carries Dignity, But You're Not Enslaved to It. And Rabbi Moline, who is the Executive Director for the Interfaith Alliance in Washington, D.C., uh, has written for us quite extensively at Ethics Daily, and this is just a fascinating article to me as he kind of unpackages the notion that this pandemic has revealed how much we have been enslaved to work. Uh, You know, some people, are, Autumn, are calling this the great pause uh, Mm -hmm. because everything's just on hold. And it is revealing a lot about ourselves, our relationships. But uh, Rabbi Moline talks about how it reveals also our enslavement Uh, to our jobs and that many times people are having even an identity crisis because their identity is so wrapped up in their work and because they can't be in the office or they can't be traveling all the time that somehow they have less worth now than they did before so what do you think about this
0: yeah I think it's you know a really important Topic to focus on, especially as we see unemployment numbers just skyrocket. Um, mm-hmm. That you aren't what you do. Um, I love the way that Rabbi Moline worked in sort of that the Jewish um, idea of Shabbat um, and the idea that it's okay to take a pause. And even though traditionally that's a you know a once a week kind of situation, I think this is sort of a Sabbath for some of us. And and I. I time to rest and to really make the best of this time. And, um, instead of like hovering our finger over, waiting for the play to come available, you know, it's like we're wanting to skip this ad. Well, this isn't an ad. Like this is, this is a, a course of our life that we're all going to have to approach. So, and it's hard, you know, I think, especially as a woman, um, who grew up in, you know, a Bible belt sort of place where, um, the Proverbs 31 woman was what we were supposed to be. I think on an, on an even deeper level, um, my identity is tied to my work and what I can bring to my family. And, you know, do I ever take a rest? Do I ever take a pause? Or am I always someone who they can rise up and call blessed? Um, And the guilt that comes, even when I just take, you know, 45 minutes on a Sunday to sit down and watch a TV show, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I could have been doing this or that or this. And, It's it's hard to to sort that out.
1: It's an incredible point that you're making there Uh, because there's the old adage that um, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And a lot of times we neglect self care. Mm -hmm. We neglect, uh, you know, making certain that we have enough rest, making certain that we have uh, some kind of outlet uh, whether that's a physical outlet, you know taking a walk or going for a run or working out, um, we need we need to take care of ourselves both physically, mentally, as well as spiritually, so that we have energy to take care of others and do our job. Um, you know our our identities are not all wrapped up in what we do, and I think uh, Rabbi Moline does a really great job. In revealing that in his article, uh, at the end of it, he talks about without meaning, uh, let me quote him real quick, without meaningful work and a living wage, including vacation time and support through medical needs, a person is enslaved to maintaining sustenance by their unrelenting sweat of their brow. And it's that latter part of that quote that really spoke to me, that uh, we get enslaved to this, just we're, we're addicted to busyness. Mm-hmm. And because anybody I talk to, and I'm, and I know the, the the fingers being pointed at myself as well, we always like to talk about how busy we are, uh, and all the responsibilities and tasks we have, and that really is a sad commentary because we are addicted to that. We're we're constantly ha- finding meaning if we if we. We're trying to maintain that sweat on the brow, as, as Moline suggests. And if it's not there, we feel guilty uh, that it's not there. And so, you know, we cannot be, we, we cannot fall prey to uh, this enslavement of labor wrapped up in our identity. Uh, Jesus himself was not wrapped up in labor identity. You know, probably the most uh, profound text addressing that is when Jesus comes back to his hometown and he enters the synagogue, uh, and he's chosen to risk uh, scroll and, and make a comment about it. And uh, when he does, the, the crowd there is perplexed. And what they say uh, is simply, isn't this the carpenter? Mm-hmm. It was like, the carpenter can't say these things. The carpenter can't understand scripture like this. And Jesus had spent most of his adult life as a carpenter, a uh, you know a trade that he learned from Joseph, but he did not let that profession, as respectful as it was, define who he was. He was a person, and he took that uh, philosophy uh, and applied it all throughout his ministry. He did not let people's conditions, uh, whether that was a social condition, whether that was a physical condition or an economic uh, condition, he never let that define a person. The person had value simply because they were a child of God created in the image of God. No, uh, no reason less than that. Uh, they deserved love and respect because they were a living human being, not because of what they did, not because of how much money they had, not because of how they worshipped or what ethnicity they were. They were simply a human being, and Jesus found value in that. And sometimes it's hard in our modern-day society uh, to remember that, mm-hmm. and that uh, our value is not wrapped up in our uh, our labors or our work.
0: Yeah, and you know, one point that uh, Jack made in his article, too, is about, it's not necessarily what you do, but it's how you do it, and it's mm-hmm. sort of your, your mindset toward it, um, whether it's something that, you go to a job and you love your job or you go to a job because it's a means to an end, Um, you know, do it with excellence and, and do your best. And then when you're done, be done. And so I think it's an article I probably need to read a few more times. Another thing that's hard about workaholics who are working from home is there's not a geographic boundary. Um, You know, we'd already been experiencing that some through our smartphones and our laptops that could travel, but now even more than ever, Anytime I walk by this closet, I've got two computers staring at me like, come get something done. And, Mm -hmm. and it's hard when you also have the job of being a member of your family.
1: Yeah. You know, somebody gave me a really good piece of advice when I uh, took this current job that I'm in uh, a few years back because I'd always had an office to go to. I'd get up, get ready, um, you know, exercise and then get ready and then go to work. and This job, uh, you know, put me at home. And so I work from home. And the advice that I was given was to make certain, first of all, you get up and you go to work. It's very tempting to just roll out of bed, not shower, you know, work in sweatpants and, you know, a raggedy old shirt and be comfortable. Uh, But they said, get up and make certain you go to work. And the opposite is true. Make certain you leave work as well and it is difficult especially in a quarantine situation like we're facing now because we're all working in the same locale uh, and it is difficult to set aside those boundaries uh, but you can do it with schedules um, and, and setting those boundaries to say uh, you know within the family hey at five o'clock or five thirty tonight all laptops off we're gonna Go watch a movie together. We're going to go out to the park together. Uh, you know, we're going to play board games together. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to set those boundaries that are so, so vitally important. Because work is always here in the house uh, during situations like this. Uh, but it's so important that we have to take care of ourselves, take care of our families, so that we have the energy to engage in work in a smarter, more efficient way.
0: Absolutely. And you know something else carrying us through right now is humor.
1: It is. And I'm so glad you brought that up because we are about to have a delightful conversation with a comedian from Dallas, Texas. His name is Paul J. Williams or a.k.a.
0: Helen Holy.
1: Helen Holy. Coming up next.
2: Are you looking for a new way to grow your faith? Nurturing Faith is offering five of their best-selling devotionals for only $12 for Good Faith weekly listeners. Go to nurturingfaith.net to find hope from Carol Bozeman-Taylor, John R. Roebuck, Blake McKinney, Michael L. Ruffin, and Merrill J. Davies. The books are all available in the bookstore section of the Nurturing Faith website. And now, back to Mitch and Autumn. Oh, Autumn, I see you're in the closet again. I
0: am. You don't know anything about that, huh?
2: No, no, no. It's been a while.
1: (laughs) Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And this week's guest is Paul Williams, who's an actor, singer, and comedian out of Dallas, Texas. Paul, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So, Paul, let's just first uh, talk about what everybody's talking about, and that's certainly the pandemic that the entire world Uh, is suffering under these days. So the first question is simple. How are you and how are you feeling?
2: You know uh, health-wise, I'm great. Uh, I still have a job uh, that allows me to work from home, so I'm grateful for the income. Um, But I'm a little, you know, I'm very much an extrovert, so being at home has been difficult not having human interaction. Autumn, can you relate to that?
0: I can relate to that a lot. I'm also an extrovert. Um, the difference is I live with four children and a husband. So oh, so
2: you're looking for some solitude. Is, yeah,
0: some adult conversation, which is really why we jump-started this podcast, if we're going right. to down to it.
1: That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Paul, tell us a little bit about your ministry. I mean, uh, saw some clips on YouTube and then read some of your stuff at uh, sure. paulwilliams.com. But, uh, no, no, no going
2: going it's pauljwilliams.com. That's Go
1: edit shout right. out.
2: Yeah, when I, uh, when I uh, first became a performer uh, and joined the union, I couldn't be Paul Williams because he wrote for the Carpenters in the 70s. And ah. uh, so I thought if it works for John F. Kennedy and Michael J. Fox, I'll just be Paul J. Williams. And so that is very much my thing is uh, Paul Williams wrote for the Carpenters. Paul J. Williams is a comic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. So yes, so Williams.com is my website. Um, I um, come from a very humorous family, uh, but did the thing where I went to Baylor and got a business degree and thought I was going to be the big businessman. Yeah. And uh, it just, it wasn't meant to be. And I really feel like God led me into this new environment of wanting to be a performer, whether it be a singer, an actor. Uh, Comedy was not really on my um, radar. It just kind of happened. And it has been a godsend, literally, that I find out that this is what my gift is.
1: And you got some great characters. So uh, just, I mean, don't you don't have to go into character, but just tell us a little bit about some of the characters that, uh, sure. that are in your act.
2: I was in a three-man comedy troupe for six years called Less Miserable, uh, which was a combination of character work, <laughs> improv, um, and sketch stuff. Uh, yeah. And so my comedy partner and I both came up with different characters. Uh, my uh, two most familiar characters were um, a, a a female white trash realtor with a big beehive and those long brown cigarettes moors, you know, oh, yeah. uh, and she talked like this because she's been smoking since she was four. Well, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> you know, not a religious bend to her at all. It was more a commentary. On Texas real estate, which is uh, especially women in Texas real estate, which mm-hmm. is somewhat of a stereotype that I just kind of ran with.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and so a lot of my friends still like me to do that. It hurts my voice, uh, but it's very much improvised. Right. My character that's become my moneymaker and my identity uh, was loosely uh, inspired. By Dana Carby's character, Church Lady, back in the late 80s. Oh, yeah, boy, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Then I took it and just, you know, ran with it. Uh, she's very much a Southern Baptist. Uh, her name is Sister Helen Holy. And because oh. I put Sister in front of it, people think she's a nun. Well, <laughs> people who didn't grow up in an evangelical church don't realize that Sister is a big part of our environment, right? Right, Almost as big
0: as the green bean casserole.
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) Or I green a green pea salad is my go-to. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it it started out pretty, uh, I don't know, just kind of limited. Uh, But I've been blessed with incredible improv skills. And so over the years, as I've developed this character, Uh, It Mm -hmm. has turned into a satire on some of our friends in a very conservative evangelical life who have very veiled racism, very veiled uh, homophobia Mm -hmm. uh, that sometimes comes out really blatantly. Mm -hmm. And so I take that and turn it on its head. And so Sister Helen always says in her act, now listen, I'm a Baptist. And as such, I'm better than the rest of you people. And so it is my duty to now point out all the different ways in which I am better than you. So if when you leave here, you have not been offended, you let me know because I will have missed something. (laughs) And at that point on, you know, Helen just literally rags on everybody. I have a... I have a comeback for every religion, uh, you know, I, I have a comeback for every uh, ethnic difference, you know, uh, and then I have a, a, I do this entire farce on white evangelicalism. Right. So yeah. I truly leave no stone unturned. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Paul, you're just, you're,
1: you're hitting on something so important right now, and that is the uh, the importance of the church being able to not only laugh at itself, but also be self-critical, looking at it and say, Hey, these are our shortcomings. Let's laugh at it, but laugh in a way that exposes the moronic portion of ourselves, I guess. So to, to, for transformation. So how how did you, I mean, how, how has that been received overall as you have uh, refined your act and, and, People, you know, hear more and more about uh, these, these characters you're developing.
2: You know, it's been uh, it's very much been a process, but I've been able to. Um, this character is so much fun that even for me, when I watch video of it, I'm like, she's funny. Forget mm-hmm. like me, you know. Uh, and I think because Helen leaves no stone unturned, uh, then it really is received well by every faith environment, every uh, ethnic environment, you know, because I hope to make it clear that what I'm doing is this satire of that kind of stuff. I was very lucky to have done recently Sister Helen spoke to the uh, women's retreat at Wilshire Baptist here in Dallas. Oh, nice. And uh, it was hilarious, you know. Uh, what, and, and so there's so much about Helen that is based in the Baptist church. You know, certain things only Baptist people are going to get. So if mm-hmm. I make some reference about WMU, you can tell who the Baptists are in the audience. <laughs> That's, right. That's All right. right.
0: Oh, Yeah. I love that Helen is like an equal opportunity offender. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, that's really... So is there some catharsis in this for you? I know you mentioned that you have sort of migrated to the Methodist church. Um, Tell us about that. Oh, back then. Uh,
2: You know, my faith journey has been uh, really um, almost 360. You know, I've gone from being Bobby Baptist as a kid to going to Baylor, to um, realizing uh, my sexual orientation while I was at Baylor, coming out of the closet in Waco, Texas, in the early '80s, which was uh, oh wow, um, and then completely leaving the well, leaving the Baptist church and discovering other religions, and then completely forsaking all of this because I got tired of having to justify who I am as a Christian, and mm-hmm. so I thought, well, screw it, I'll walk away from it. Uh, then to coming back to a new understanding of who my personal relationship is with and that by limiting who God has always been based on someone else's description, I'm putting God in a box. And that is not not only wrong, it's impossible. Mm. So, you know, my faith journey is, um, I don't. I don't belong to a particular church. I have been a singer in a Methodist church for a long time. When I lived in New York City, I sang in Episcopal churches. I love classical high church music, uh, but wherever I go, it is the music that uh, draws me in because that's how I experience the divine.
1: Yeah. You know, Paul, you, now that you you, you mentioned it, um, you know, one of the things that we are trying to advocate for here at Good Faith Media is the full inclusion of our LGBTQ community uh, in, in places of, of worship, uh, not only the church, but uh, in other places as well. Uh, do you think uh, institutions of faith uh, are redeemable when it comes to this? Because it seems like the church and places of faith have have done such a terrible job of ostracizing and marginalizing our LGBT community that that is that bridge too far to cross right now?
2: I want to hope that it's not. And I can only speak for myself in that I believe that the strides that have been made, you know, I'm appreciating the strides that are being made. Um, especially within the faith I was raised. Um, I, I do think there are a lot of people who have suffered such abuse at the hands of the church that there may never be a reconciliation. And I seek to find the positive in that, which is that those people who suffered under the church will somehow find a renewed spirituality that is not limited by the bonds that they were taught as a child. So whether or not they find their way back to an organized church, or if they have been opened up to a new experience uh, with the God of their understanding, um, either way is, is, would be a blessing.
1: Yeah, good. That's a good word. And uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about what's going on in the world today. Uh, There's certainly a heaviness uh, all over the globe with uh, COVID-19 continuing to spread and uh, the hotspots beginning to to erupt, uh, not only in New York City and and other places like that, but uh, even in some more southern states as well. But what we've been doing here at Good Faith Media is talking about the importance of good mental and spiritual health. And comedy is a big part of that. Um, Why is it so important, even in the midst of very difficult, tenuous situations, why is it so important for us to still be able to laugh?
2: Yeah, I have several thoughts on that. Number one, you know, it is a scientific fact that laughter uh, releases endorphins that are healing. So, that's, that right there is important. Uh, secondly, I think the, the old time equation for comedy is tragedy plus time. Mm. Uh, the question is how much time are you gonna wait? Uh, a lot of comics, you know, they'll say something and people go, ah, too soon. Right, right. Who's to decide if it's too soon, you know? I think if we don't hang on to our sense of humor in this, we will suffer far more than if we do keep a sense of humor. Have I found particular senses of humor in this? Uh, absolutely, in fact, I write a weekly column as Sister Helen. What? Uh, that, yes.
0: You're holding out on us, how do we get a hold of it?
2: How do we get a hold of this, Paul, <laughs> come on. Give it, is, the- it is carried on the web by He Said Magazine, which is He Said Mag, Which is principally a uh, gay, uh, this is what's going on in the world type of thing. Uh, But it has a following, thanks to Helen's column. But I also post Helen's column each week onto my Facebook pages uh, as well. But anyway, it is it is um, it is called the 701 Club because she's just a little better than that other guy. <laughs> and I take current event news stories, three a week, and then offer Helen's perspective on it. And when the news came out that one of the signs of possible infection is a loss of smell, Sister Helen's comment was, you know, I'm so glad that uh, that is a sign so that if I can't smell anything, I might be concerned. And let me just tell you, brothers and sisters, I am a very gassy person, and I can tell you, my <laughs> head is very good right now. <laughs> I'm finding humor in it, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: sure. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, well, that- I- I think it's up to everybody. Well, uh, let me say this also last Saturday night. Uh, the one of the vacation companies I work for as Helen hosted a live broadcast of sister Helen on Facebook live uh, it posted on Facebook. Uh, and I did an hour. It was the first time I performed without a live audience. So I can't hear what people are reacting to, but I'm getting You know, solid comments constantly. We had at one time over 500 people watching at one time. And the response I got from so many people was, thank you. We need this. I needed to laugh. Uh, And that brought me great um, satisfaction to know that God's given me this gift. Here's what I can do to help.
0: Well, and how do you feel about, you know, there's so much rhetoric right now around, um, especially in the education space, about what matters. You know, people are cutting the arts programs, they're cutting music, they're cutting theater and all of these things that are our lifelines right now in a crisis. You know, so along with our essential workers, our frontline defense folks, people who are, you know, working in grocery stores who are going to return to working, you know, minimum wage jobs, I'm really hoping that out of this, we're going to have just an emboldened passion to support the arts. So, as an artist, how do you see this thing playing out? What can we do?
2: You know, I am so um, impassioned for my friends who make their living as an artist, no matter what their medium. Um, I have always had a law firm job that i have had that i'm able to do in fact i feel like i've been blessed with both worlds i make part of my living performing and part of my living with a law firm but i'm not strictly making my living as an artist and i i feel for my friends who are in that position what is this going to do to our passion for what we do will it make it stronger Will we hang on to it, depending on how long we're unable to do this? Um, I really believe that once we are able to get back to life, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't think normal is going to be normal anymore. I agree. That this repression that all artists have felt in isolation will bloom and explode into all kinds of. Ways that the general public will be amazed. Mm-hmm. That is my hope. Do I know? I have no idea.
1: Yeah. Well, I certainly think you're absolutely correct because I mean, what we're seeing across social media is this uh, longing for the arts, whether it is uh, a comedy routine that she put up online or Elton John doing a concert, Right. Uh, all these artists who are, are stepping up to provide a little bit of escape uh, and solace to people who are really struggling. We were talking to uh, Scott Stearman and Tiffany Hinkle, who are at Metro Baptist Church in New York city this right. week. And they were talking about all their Broadway talent uh, who oh. are, find themselves out of work right now and trying to figure out what next step, for them is going to be and how long this is going to, to last. And so, you know, what's amazing to me is that our artists, especially who are hurting like everybody else, they're the ones who are also stepping up to try to help people, uh, figure out this new normal that we're in and, and help, help us cope through it. Give us some uh, laughter, uh, give us some inspiration uh, to get through these dark days.
2: You know, what I've really loved is I follow several, um, uh, Broadway people on Instagram uh, and uh, their Instagram feeds have been so entertaining and while some of them, you know they are hurting and scared, the way they are getting through it by being fun on their Instagram page or sometimes being really honest, uh, it brings us all together. I have a, a a woman comedian friend who does a daily thing on her Instagram about her and her partner, who had recently gotten together before all this isolation started. So now they're forced to learn to get live with each other in the midst of all this. She does a daily sixty-second bit on Instagram mm-hmm. about. The, the 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 problems they're having, you know, mm-hmm. it is so brilliant and so well done. And the last line of every day's episode is, "We're not going to make it." <laughs> <laughs> it is, and it's 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 real. It's yeah. honest. It is hilarious. Right. I, I live for it every day to watch and see what she's going to say. That's the kind of thing where we're living in the present and making light and sharing it with others. Mm-hmm. That's important. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, so, Paul, it has been an absolute joy, but uh, we have one last question that we ask each and every one of our guests at Good Faith Weekly, and Autumn always poses it. So, Autumn, ask away.
0: Yeah, so Good Faith Media, our motto is there's more to tell. So um, what is your more to tell
2: in the sense of what more do I have that I want to say? Yes. I think this story is never ending. Uh, and I think that every day brings a new opportunity to, as, uh, I, as I've once heard before uh, in John, McKe- John Bakino's song, uh, no matter what stone life may sling, we can moan or we can sing. And I love that each day gives me an opportunity to make that choice. And the more to tell for me is that I will do everything I can to keep laughter, light, and fun going and going and going.
1: Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. I want to encourage our audience to go to pauljwilliams.com to find out the latest uh, about Paul and Helen Holy and all the characters. Yeah, uh,
0: um, and next time I think we might need to invite Helen to come too.
2: You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I could get, she'll listen, she'll go anywhere a ministry is called.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. So, but also, next time we're in Dallas, we may have to have Helen uh, show up at one of our events, so that would be fantastic. And
2: yeah. let me just plug this too, that the entire live broadcast that we did last weekend, is now on YouTube, uh, so you can search Helen Holy, um, and it's with Vacaya, V-A-C-A-Y-A, which is the travel company I work with. So you can either search Helen Holy or Vacaya, and you can watch the whole hour-long broadcast.
0: Wonderful! Thanks so much.
1: Oh, thank, thank you so much. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. It's been another great week. We're wishing you health and good prosperity. God bless. You.